All monologuing is entirely fiction unless applied by a trusted source through a stated reference. After casually deciding that he was going to become a director, Ray's Waterfield, whose name sounds like an Amish farmer, but also sounds like every character and location in every Edgar Allan Poe movie simultaneously, arose out of his bed and decided that he wanted to be on the podium of Hollywood stardom, potentially try for the Oscars, drink champagne in celebration of every take, and kick off and kill off almost every entire cast before a movie is halfway done. Perhaps based off that terrifying robot assembly at Chuck E. Cheese, right across from the street from that abandoned building, in a mix of cosmetic special effects and CGI, personally delivered from the underworld, mixed with what you thought would kill you as a child when you didn't run upstairs in time before the lights were turned off, everyone in the horror film industry rejoiced as they realized that our favorite childhood characters will never be the same again, but will end up looking like a demonized version of everything that taught us math and the alphabet, while again letting us know how much we hated Chuck E. Cheese all those years. Waterfield then realized that all he would have to do is destroy a new character basis every single time while killing off less known supporting characters at random, just like every other movie franchise did that became beloved, in order to achieve his goal of film world domination and the destruction of every 30, 40, and even 50-year-old's memory of what television used to be before 30 and 40 and 50-year-olds knew what Netflix was. And before everybody decided there should be rights in place to every number of odd long years before they could simply help boy the hell out of a film, which would then make the simple, beloved classic storyline end up look like, looking like what would happen if you ingested magic mushrooms before walking around a haunted house in the middle of the night. That's when all of a sudden, Fidel Alvarez texted Waterfield on his flip phone that for some reason all directors will have before their famous appearance to the big screen automatically upgrades them to the current iPhone hybrid, praised Waterfield for his choice to shatter the pasts of every man, woman, and child on the globe for the past 50 years or so, before telling him that he broke into Walt Disney and got the rights to Toy Story, Aladdin, and Star Wars, but it was okay if he didn't want anything to do with the last one, because it's already ruined, and it'll never be the same again, while looking like what a weird remake would look like if Jurassic Park and Star Wars were mixed together with all the extra characters with entirely empty theaters after every character that meant anything got killed off like the past your father remembered when he first watched Star Wars. That's when James Wan, Jonathan Leitzman, Hualian Murray, and Marcus Nerpal in the force ghost of George A. Romano came together to make the new slasher film with Waterfield that's just a strange one-shot scene of every undead character from Toy Story attacking every other live character from Cinderella. Why Cinderella breaks into a quick bolted run like a Call of Duty character zombie. While, Eli while Elsa from Frozen sings into the unknown before bursting into flames in a pool of fake blood. Why everyone in the, why everyone in the theater bursts into tears and wondering what on earth is actually going on, why nobody can ever sleep again. As most everyone has been saying in the film reporting industry, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey will be similar in graphic content to Terrifier 2 that nobody remembers seeing, although they did, because they were all busy passing out from their beforehand unknown claustrophobia and unreal murder scenes that will probably be what Toy Story becomes 10 years from now. 
That's from the hierarchy of horror films that was mostly composed of George A. Romano's Force Ghost in every cult that's been talked about in every documentary. Said, good, good, in a Sith Palpatine voice. No one will ever remember how these movies actually were back then when they were released because VHS tapes cost as much as TVs now and they can't play VHS tapes. After this, we can expect the uttermost downfall and twisted distortion of nearly every childhood movie, which, in fact, might bring forth the actual apocalypse, which in that case will probably need, to he- will probably need the help of the special effects makeup crew from The Last of Us to survive. That is, unless every other zombified Toy Story character also bursts into flames. I'm Jonathan D. This is Jay's Exclusive Show. Now, obviously, from the opener, I truly expected that the individuals behind Winnie the Pooh were conspiring to completely destroy the entire story of the franchise. And that being said, there's no way to take a lovable character and make a horrid horror version of that character without destroying what the entirety of that character used to be. By the standards of movie and TV, it's similar to every other production work, of course, when it in fact comes to the copyrights. A person who created the work holds it until their death, plus 70 years of time. Of course, that unfortunately means that at the very least, half of everything, if not more that our parents watched for film as kids, is definitely not safe and could easily be bought out and constructed into something dark and menacing when it was once beloved and taught you something of value as you grew up, like counting, sharing, and anything besides murder and mayhem. Of course, this applies to Winnie the Pooh, because the character of Winnie the Pooh was created in the year of November 6th, 1924, which obviously that applies to that film, and it was one of the first that actually would apply in the first place. Now, obviously the horror genre is cool and all, and it's obviously a big, huge blank slate for a director in the genre, and they can really do quite a lot with it, but... Obviously, people should heed and think about the issues of having too many horror films in the public eye, outbranding every other genre. And if that were to occur, they would, of course, notice that more randomized and horrified old shows and old trilogies that come to light would most likely harm the development of the younger generation. Because, of course, we already know what happens when someone learns that Hot Topic is a store for the first time and they're above the age of 30. So, of course, it works the same way as the inappropriate content issues in the film industry, and that the majority of movies today, and even 50 years prior, have content not approved for kids all the time. Obviously, I think it's funny to have this remake, but we should hopefully slow down the process of recreating every single childhood show and movie into a camera angle of the gates of hell using a video camera from the 90s, or in this case, a video camera that cost 60 grand and was used on the set of every movie you watched in the past 10 years. Or at least just simply a movie that Tom Cruise was shooting while hanging on the side of a plane while screaming that he does his own stunts 
and while trying to publicize a new Mission Impossible movie for the thousandth time. Which, in fact, that movie as well will be released soon. But, going on with the particular topic, think of how horror movies would be if any director got their hands on the rights of a film, no matter what genre it is. Whether it's historical, documentary, or sci-fi. Obviously, the idea back in 1987 to make Spaceballs, for example, was a great idea. But it wasn't a horror film. And if these rights aspects didn't stand for as long as they do, or if the movie industry simply decides that with the making of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey to somehow throw that contract into the garbage disposal, that movie, if it's remade, would be insanely terrible. And other remakes like it, of course, would suffer the consequence of being insanely terrible. This, of course, or at least should be the main reason for the copyrights, that the storyline should be completely protected and so that the movie itself doesn't bomb, at least because then that opens up a whole world opportunity for cosplayers and directors and special effects designers to get more ideas and make the genre more interesting without turning it into a pile of garbage. And of course, instead of disorganizing and discombobulating the whole thing. But yes, yet again, the Winnie the Pooh thing is, in fact, a funny idea. But maybe we should only allow that thing to happen once every 50 years so that it doesn't ruin every single classic known to man. Now let's get to the discussion of future movie predictions. Now for a first one, hopefully no one does this, but perhaps someone might make a Courage the Cowardly Dog live-action remake. But obviously if they did, the TV would probably spontaneously explode out of an inhuman television's distaste for the highly disturbing content, and it would probably be ten times more disturbing than the actual show, which nobody knew actually was disturbing until they went to college and suddenly watched it again in their late 20s. One of the ways that this could happen would be if Cartoon Network actually joined forces with, say, James Wan, Stephen King, one of those other directors, but that would be an insane matchup. That probably would never happen, though it is likely another person who is new might direct, might direct a film such as this, it probably wouldn't be one of the main individuals, because Stephen King is probably too busy writing creepy books, and James Wan is busy with The Conjuring. But of course, it would definitely be an under, uh, underrated film, and it might get banned too. Of course, probably first in, in China, because China bans everything. But, but then again, they do have weird anime. That would probably be at least a half decade away for 2028. So secondly, I have a bad prediction that probably actually might happen as well, eventually because of uh, somewhat, uh, somewhat of the decently recent uh, making of the Happy Time Murders comedy back in 2018 that had Sesame Street-like characters. I would think that Elmo might in fact be in trouble and this could be in fact the next terrifying film. 
Really, all they would need is for him to brandish a knife or something, or just, and, and you know, right, right then. He's basically a miniature Chucky, Elmo thing going on. Of course, the biggest problem stands with the rights. And of course, the whole rights thing, as we talked about earlier, definitely applies to Sesame Street. But then again, then again, if I'm not mistaken, he has passed away, so... It, it probably would either be 70 years down the road, which hopefully it's that long, and most of the majority of us, you know, in our 20s and 30s today wouldn't have to deal with it. Or perhaps, like I said before too, they might just throw the whole thing into the garbage disposal and they might allow it to happen. If that happened, that's probably a couple of years down the road at least. Perhaps if they're gonna make it and it, but I honestly can see it coming perhaps let's say summer 2025 if they actually threw the rides down the drain. So third I would say that another a movie in development in the future might in fact be a remake of a movie similar to Jason Voorhees versus Michael Myers but with Chucky taking on a different character in the horror genre. So since that film is a short it's a short film it makes it even more likely to happen. Shorts often have a mild amount of development and obviously a smaller amount of special effects, of course. So all they would need is a director to have the rights and have the other characters portray their roles, potentially being new actors, because I'm not completely certain that the original actor of Chucky would actually return, that being Brad Dorif, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But it's more likely that Mark Hamill might actually decide to return if this actually becomes a thing since he isn't going to return for his Joker role or the Star Wars role and we all unfortunately know why he won't return to Star Wars because, well, of Star Wars. But it would obviously definitely be uh, definitely be an R-rated film like before and it would be between 50 thousand and five hundred thousand dollar range if it's an extremely short film but of course if they got Hamill for Chucky it would definitely surpass 30 million all they would need is of course obviously the rights now let's get to the movie review So recently, this past week, I watched The Fighter for the first time. I didn't actually know it was even a movie based on a true boxing career of two brothers. So it has Christian Bale, Mark Wahlberg, and quite a few other people that most people don't recognize. Now people might wonder exactly why there's so many crosses throughout the film, for instance. And there are many reasons behind this, the first being Boston's high Catholic Christian presence in Mississippi, where the film was uh, created, and also uh, Catholicism being the third largest religion in the state of Mississippi, and also the fact that Mark Wahlberg is in fact a devout Christian Catholic himself. Whereas Christian Bale is actually agnostic, but hopefully the Catholic Christian representations of his co-stars helped push him towards Christian faith. 
Although, through the past 10 years, there have been some kind of shady, strange, faith-based things with him. But of course, you can look up those things for yourself. Often i found that most of the time, at least being if someone is agnostic, they're closer to becoming a Christian. A co- they were, they're close to becoming a Christian, but they'd be further away if they were from another faith to begin with. But of course, continuing on. Now, when it comes to Christian Bale's character, as we've seen with just about every single character Bale shows and portrays, he actually had to lose a large amount of weight. It was referencing the weight that would look the closest to that of an actual cocaine addict, which of course was the actual issue for the real person in the film he was portraying. Now, Bale told the Mercury News all the way back in 2014 with the interview notes published by the Mercury Times about how he would get into character. His process, as he stated, is actually that he did not really have one, but would normally ask himself the diligent question as to how in the world was he going to do this before remembering how challenging it was to start the character off from scratch. He said that he didn't have a system necessarily, but he would begin to put the pieces together little by little. One very interesting aspect of this particular interview was the concept of how uh, one actually gets into the character of, of a boxing champion. So Bale said that when you're boxing in character, it's a whole lot of, it's a whole lot like acting. He said, quote, you have all the people pulling the strings. Another guy might deserve a chance more than another, but he might not have the right representation. And another guy steps in and gets it. In that matter, acting and boxing are very similar, unquote. But of course, maybe other MMA fighters and boxers would have something else to say about that methodology and that thought process. Who knows, we might have to ask Joe Rogan and Dana White about that one and see see how they respond. They'll, They'll probably disagree, but then again, Bale was Batman, come to think of it. Perhaps Joe Rogan maybe could try and play Batman. Who knows? Probably not going to probably not going to happen. But of course, after this movie, he actually didn't work for a long time in preparation for the role of Batman again in The Dark Knight Rises, which one would only assume would be why he had the beard in the movie to begin with. And then again, that's what a lot of men do all the time. So, just for all you men out there, just in case your wife or fiance is complaining about your scruffy beard that looks like you live in a Walmart parking lot, Just tell them it's okay, because Christian Bale does it sometimes. Now, another another, uh, instance that's really important, particularly in the film, when it comes to the prisoners and the jail system, is a very, very, very interesting thing that was included in the take. And they actually almost were going to take this out due to the tattoo representation. But when it comes to the jail system, those scenes uh, depicted with drug, with the drug rehabilitation video of Bale, uh, the fights between prisoners, of course, is highly accurate. But as I was bringing up before, most people won't notice this, but the in- individual sitting next to Bale in the high security prison 
had tattoos on his hands and on his face. And of course, a lot of people in prison do this. They've actually been known to tattoo each other based on homemade production. But however, these tattoos are very specific and they have a dark meaning. There are double tattoos of lightning bolts on the man's face and around his eyes. First, people might just think that these tattoos are random and mean nothing, but they're actually in link with the Aryan Brotherhood. Of course, this is the member in prison that Bane argues with when he wants the, his drug documentary turned off. Even though it's very intense and Bale himself would never actually be acquainted with an actual gang in this nature or acquainted with any gang in the first place, I would imply that the reason that the character was sitting next to Bale to begin with is to allow the audience to realize that Bale's character is struggling on the edge of the prison system and it communicates a major turning point for the character, which of course is either his breaking point into a potential life of gangs in prison or, as in real life, for the actual person, a perfect representation of overcoming hardship that we can fully reference in our own lives. Now let's get to a very quick mental a very quick uh, mental section. Now, although a lot of individuals do it, most people would simply shrug and respond that they have never talked to themselves. Recently, however, I have viewed a quite a few articles that actually state the same message that talking to ourselves after a conflict is not only normal, but it can also be helpful. Although the majority of the time when I talk to myself, I mostly picture a, a bold character like Walter White or some other Breaking Bad character, instead of my white guy frustrated self. The point is that, is that it can be helpful and most people actually do it as a way to calm down or de-stress themselves. As according to multiple medical experts everywhere that might also picture themselves as Walter White or maybe that's just me. Anyways, what of course I'm trying to say and, what I'm really, and where I'm really going with this is that podcasting has the helpful advantage of being able to get people's thoughts and feelings out there without talking to the reflection in the mirror like a Vince Gilligan cutscene. And obviously, when you're talking into a microphone, and at times can have adoring fans similar to Justin Bieber when he was at the height of his career, you can have, you know, 10 views, you can have a million views, but of course you get your mental capacity uh, a lot more diligently restored and allows a, refresh, a refreshing consistency of the mind. Of course, the most, important full and the most important and meaningful part is that you're talking, getting your thoughts out there, and thus your mind is not overwhelmed with anxiety, overthinking, and insecurity. Often people don't even realize the effects that they have on other people, either through podcasting, because of course, all that therapy is just an expert, all that therapy is, is just an expert leading you through a mental instance, 
or mental issues while podcasting can be a mental person helping other mental people through episodes while they go through their constant episodes on a podcast platform. And really the main deal is that podcasting can be a refined use of Reddit or other applications to allow people to be refreshed and be mentally stable only with microphones instead of a screen in front of your face. And instead of strange random people mostly named Stuff Panda 4465 and user 11127543 talking about how the Earth is flat and the Sun is a cube and JC is a cyborg and all of those other rabbit holes. My main advice is to, in fact, not only see a therapist, but to see a therapist and start a podcast show while keeping close to God and help your mental and while helping your mental state and well-being. Plus, Spotify will thank you too. Now let's get to the cut. So today, like most realistic people would say, or at least people who want their children to actually develop and grow up into effective adults, we are cutting the idea that children should try out as quickly as possible for the film industry. Obviously say... Obviously, acting, say in high school for performing arts, is obviously quite different since it removes most of the struggles that children face in the school system and will face into adulthood. When it comes to young actors and when they try to thrive, normally vast periods of problems and intense struggles tend to occur as soon as directors, producers, and private bodyguards and private signing agents get a hold of potential talent. With Katy Perry, Todd Bridges, and Macaulay Glycklin only being three of them. Perhaps I mispronounced the last name. But of course, a big challenge and reason as to why this occurs is, of course, the devolving and unfortunate, dark and evil, lawless people that thrive off of children entering into the field of film and media. When people in the industry should be striving for is a continuous support system that for younger actors in the field and obviously, as everyone should advocate for, is that young actors normally shouldn't be less than 18 years and up, similar to tobacco and vape laws and other laws, such as the 21-year-and-up alcohol laws. Although people just shouldn't really be doing a lot of that in general, you can call me an old-fashioned grandpa if you want, but depending on the movie. Since there are countless examples of abuse and neglect of all kinds, and the neglect in the film industry only gets worse over time. Really, people shouldn't have to say this. They shouldn't have to state this. There's an innumerable amount of life activities and life challenges that absolutely no child should have to experience until a certain age. Of course, they have to deal with directors telling them they need to put on, you know, 30 pounds or less, or lose 30 pounds for a role, or they need to hear that they did not get the part because some everything about them or something about them wasn't what the director was looking for in a person or in a character. A human brain doesn't even fully develop until 25 and in Hollywood kids are starting out as 8 year olds and often what people do even when they are of age and even when they are old enough to make their own choices is dependent on what brings them purpose 
and of course fame gives a false sense of purpose to everyone who is famous. Those who don't have 1.2 million subscribers expect to have 1.2 million subscribers, while those who fake it for the camera fake it until they're alone, and then when they are alone, they fall apart due to faking it. Of course, earlier we were discussing how the process of podcasting can aid mental health, but then again, there is a necessity to having your own safe space as you grow with the family and friends that aren't 25 cameras asking you questions. A lot of the time, too, these young individuals might not even have much of a home before they're scooped up by Hollywood. And some people would probably exclaim that fame ends up bettering them, but of course it's the exact opposite. And if you aren't already convinced, you can tell based on the fact that the adults in Hollywood wear trash bags and spike suits and call it clothing while changing their music style 25 times if they're a musician and mindlessly doing whatever some unnamed person in a suit jacket tells them to do before spiraling into nothingness or prison potentially. A well-known actor normally doesn't interact with normal people, perhaps in the same way depending on the actor because a true friend group and a relationship connection becomes meaningless unless there isn't a million or so dollar checks involved as a result of the connection. And of course, because of all of these reasons, and of course because we should want to see the younger generation thrive and the older generation give wisdom to the younger generation instead of mental depravity, child acting auditions are cut. And that will do it for the show today. Thanks for listening. Tune in tomorrow night for a special Wednesday guest episode. Have a good day. This is Jace Exclusive Show.